All right, let's pray. Father, once again, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in your presence. We thank you for the works that you, you've done in our lives. And as your people, Lord, we want to be, uh, be built up in your truth because it is the only thing, Lord, that will uh, change and transform us so that we become more and more like Jesus. And that proves that Jesus is alive in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're, we're going to continue with the, on a series of Joshua for some time. And, uh, because I, I believe, as I said, when, when I started the book of Joshua, I felt like there's a, there's a prophetic uh, uh, message from, from God concerning our church for this season that we are entering into a new season where transition from one season to another and uh, God is taking us to, to a new territory. And I believe not just as a church corporately, but, but as individuals, I believe there's going to be time where some of you will experience either spiritual breakthrough or maybe even financial breakthrough or all those things, which is a manifestation of what God is doing in taking you to a new, a new place. And uh, in the series, last week we were, we, 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 we dealt with the, the situation, the story when Joshua was standing before, before Jericho and, uh, and he was, con was confronting a man with a drawn sword only to discover that it was an angel of God. And... Uh, and then in that confrontation or in that, in that conversation, the angel of God said, take your sandals off, take your shoes off, because the ground you are standing is a holy ground, which reminds us of what happened exactly, the conversation happened to a different man, his predecessor, which is Moses at the burning bush. The same thing happened to Moses. So, uh, so we talked about this whole thing, that the narratives of the, 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 the children of Israel from, from uh, being liberated slaves to, to become this mighty conquering army to possess, after leaving Egypt now, they're faced with the, uh, the prospect of possessing their inheritance. Three significant uh, encounters with God and... Uh, where holiness is the focal point of the conversation. With Moses at the burning bush resulting that, that, that uh, divine encounter, the result of that is uh, he, him being commissioned to lead the nation of Israel from their sl uh, slavery into the promised land. The next uh, encounter was the, the whole nation of Israel. They had an encounter with God in Mount Sinai. Once again, the, the, the focal point in, the, in that encounter was the holiness of God. And uh, in Exodus chapter 19, verse, six, uh, verse 5 to 6, where, where God called them to be a holy nation. But like I said, when they were in Egypt, they were just a group of people. It's when they came to Mount Sinai, all of a sudden they became 
a nation, and like, like I said, I pointed out, every nation in, in this formation, in any formation of any nation, constitution is the first thing they do. For Israel, it's the law of God. <laughs> that was the formation of them as a, as, as a holy nation. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 to 6, where God says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my commandments, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. That was the call of God for them to be. So it began with Moses as an individual to save the, na to, uh, the people and now a nation being formed as a nation unto God, a holy nation. So holiness was the issue. And then Joshua, obviously, before the conquest, once again, holiness of God as the topic of the conversation. So that's why our title last, last week was the holiness of God and his people. What does that really mean? And thematically speaking, when you look at, you know, we have Exodus, immediately after Exodus is Leviticus. The theme of the book of Exodus is deliverance. It's the book of departure, Exodus. And you notice the theme of the book of Leviticus is holiness. And the phrase that is repeated time and time again in Exodus chapter 11, verse 44 to 45, chapter 19, verse 2, chapter 27, verse 7, and verse 26, be holy as I am holy. That was the repeat, repeated statement for God, from God to the people. So, so my thing is, it's interesting, even in the the Bible, the pattern is like deliverance leads into holiness. <laughs> you are now are saved to be holy. And here's the thing. It's not the holier than thou, gonna, I'm, I'm holy than you. No, no. Holy as God is holy. <laughs> Holiness unto God. So because of that, that's why we I promise you, this idea of being holy as unto God. So how does God achieve holiness in his people? That is the title, how God achieved holiness in his people. So as we look at the life of Israel and the story, um, some of you might say, that's great for Israel, but what does that really mean to us now? <laughs> Okay, for us to understand this whole thing, it is not, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complex issue, it's not, and yet we have to talk about it because it's in the Bible, yep, and, uh, and it's for us. For us to understand and reading from Israel, then we need to see how the New Testament writers compare us to the, the children of Israel. And I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. We talked about, uh, we went, we've gone through First Peter last, sometime last year, but I would like to just highlight some things here. I'm going to read from verse 4 here. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. This is where Peter said, As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, 
are being built into a spiritual house, okay? So for Israel, they had the literal temple, the, the building, but now in the, in the New Testament, you and I as people are spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifice, sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he quoted from Isaiah chapter 28, indicating that this is the fulfillment of the uh, prophecy prophesied by Isaiah in verse 6. Isaiah 28, 16, in, in, and he quoted in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 6. For in Scripture it says, As, See, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, that one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this is, this is the fulfillment of it. This stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, once again he quoted from Psalm 118, 20, verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So there's a strong connection by who, who we are to what is prophesied in the, or what is written in the Old Testament. And then verse 8, he said, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they, obey, they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And then here comes the punchline. He said, but you are, verse 9, a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. So right now he quoted the scripture we read before, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 6, word for word, pretty much. What he's trying to say is like, now you are the new Israel. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. I like that he said in verse 9, you are God's special possession that you may declare the presence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you notice the two aspects there? It's not just being saved out of something, but being saved into something. I think it's very important for us to understand that. I'm just being saved. Great, you've been saved for what? Not just from what, but for what? <laughs> so, the question is still, okay, that's great about the call of God. How does, okay, so how is it, this holiness working? How does God achieve this holiness in us now? Okay, let me explain this word holiness. Holiness is, in the Bible, it actually another word for it is sanctification or being set apart. Something that is sanctified or something that is set apart is marked out. I'll give you an example. This cup, you know, some household, they would have cup, you know, a cup of coffee, a cup like this or a mug that's got dad on it, right? <laughs> Has anybody seen that? You know, dad. What that means is that cup is sanctified, set apart, cannot be used by anybody else or for anything else, only for dad, you know. That's what it is. Or sometimes you go to, to an office and you, 
you, you want to park your car and you realize, oh, it says CEO only or whatever, manager only. That means that car park is sanctified for something. So when the call of holy, holiness, it's more than just uh, behavior modification. It's about being set apart for God. No one else, you know, you're, you're, you live your life for no one else but God himself. That's what holiness is. And if, if, as we read the Bible, both in the Old and, it, and in the, the, old, the old Testament, it's all God's doing. It's not our own effort. You need to know that. It begins with divine election. You know, First Peter chapter 1, when Peter referred to the church, as the people who have been chosen, Peter chapter 1, verse 1, they have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. But I like what Paul said. Paul's perspective on this divine calling, he puts it this way. We're going to read from uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Now, I'm going to read this from a different perspective and I promise you, at DMS, you will, if you do DMS, Diane will, will do the best presentation of Romans 8 I've ever seen anywhere. Anyway, I'm going to just do my best here, right? Let's read Romans 8 verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed. Okay, I want you to underline predestined. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, let's, let's look at the, uh, this one, two, three, four, five points there. Uh, uh, PowerPoint, do we have that? Is it on? Okay. <laughs> All right. So we've got five things here. God foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, and he glorified. He foreknew, he predestined, he called, and he's glorified. This is very typical in biblical pattern of God's calling on people when he called his people. So the first three of them, foreknew, predestined, and called, this is for all people that God, God does that. The last two actually only for the New Testament believers. Whereas the first three points are for the New Old Testament and the New Testament. He foreknew, he predestined, and he called. We're going to focus on the last two points later on, but let's talk about these first three points. These three things are very clear when you read the story of, of uh, Israel and particularly the story of a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Predestination and calling. 
in Jeremiah 1, verse 5, when God said to Jeremiah, you can see, foreknowledge, predestination, and call. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, when God called Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I have set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. So you can see, God foreknew before he was even conceived. That's crazy. You may, I mean, just think, before you were conceived, God only knew you. That's the foreknowledge of God. And before you were born, he already called you. Wow. And the story of Israel, also, where they were, it's not something that God didn't know. They, the conversation started 400 years before. When God was making a covenant with Abraham, he said, for sure, he said, in Genesis, Genesis 15, God said, your children will be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and then I will set them free, and they will possess the land. So God foreknew, and then he called them out. That's always the pattern. He foreknew, he predestined, he called them to be a holy nation. Now, here's the thing, though. However, for this call to become a reality, for Israel to be a holy nation, even though God initiates all that, they have to respond to that call. What kind of response will be seen in Exodus chapter 19 that we read before? He said, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. So God does it first by making a covenant. This covenant is not a contract, you know. The difference between covenant and contract, you make a contract because you don't trust the other party. <laughs> In case you, you did this, I'm going to. Whereas covenant is birthed out of love and it starts with trust. You see, and unfortunately, just kind of move aside a bit, in many marriages, it's not a covenant, it's a contract. <laughs> if you get divorced, you have that, I have this, and all like this, there's, a, there's a, an air of mistrust, whereas it should be a covenant based on love. So God called Israel if you keep my covenant, you will be to me a holy people. And of course, Israel couldn't keep it. They failed. But God didn't stop there. You know what he did? He said, I'm going to make a new covenant. And he said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting from verse 31, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, where God says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers or forefathers. And then he said, it's not going to be like them when I took them, took them the, their hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and 
verse 33, he said, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them, and I will forgive their sins, and I will remember their sins no more. The same promise, as a matter of fact, is also given through Ezekiel. When you read Ezekiel chapter 36, God said, I will give them a new heart. I will put my new spirit. I will remove from their heart a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in them. So here's the thing. I want to make, it, make a difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant, we can do the PowerPoint there. It's the law written by the finger of God. Whereas in the new covenant, the law written by the spirit of God. In the old covenant, it was written on tablets of stone. Whereas in the New Covenant, it's on the tablets of our hearts. So in the Old Covenant, it was external law, whereas in the New Covenant, it is internal law. In the Old Covenant, it was sealed by the blood of animals. Whereas in the new covenant, sealed by the blood of Jesus. There's something that happens in our hearts. The problem with the written law is, I mean, I've said this a few times in various ways. The written law, like the Americans and all the democratic countries, take pride in their constitution because we got the law. Unfortunately, the law is subject to men's interpretation and manipulation. <laughs> and the law is only powerful only when it's broken. Say if you're stalked by, by somebody, you go to the police, you know, I'm being stalked by somebody, the police can't do anything because the guy hasn't broken the law. It was until he's done something that where he breaks the law, then they can reinforce it. But here's the thing. The law that is written in our hearts is higher than the written law. Why? Because we are led by the Holy Spirit. So we remove ourselves from manipulating the law because that is my interpretation. Here's the thing. You know, I remember watching this movie, Few Good Men. All right? Have you heard, seen that movie? It's, uh, uh, what's his name, the actor? No, no, the, the, the lady. Yeah. Demi Moore and uh, had a conversation, and uh, Tom, Tom Cruise. And Demi Moore said to Tom Cruise, who is the lawyer, you know that guy's innocent. I know you know that guy's innocent. You know my Tom Cruise playing that character? He said, it's not what I believe, it's about what I can prove. I know the law. 
is all technicality and all those things. Whereas the law that is written in our hearts form our integrity, where there's another aspect outside the law called ethics. Now, somebody talked to me once about tax and all those things. You know, we can, you can do this, you can do that. And I said, and, he, and the guy said, and it's legal. And apparently, maybe it's true it's legal. But my answer to that, some things may be legal, but not necessarily ethical. And I will stay with the ethical because I'm a servant of God, being led by the law, internal law that is written in my heart, not the written law on the book or tablets of stone. That's, that's it. Let's go back to justification and glorification. Let's go to the uh, justification leads to glorification. Justification, okay, let me, let me explain this whole thing of justification. When you read the Bible, and especially the book of Romans, when it talks about the righteousness of God, the word righteousness is the same word as justice, okay? So, once again, it, it, it means, the word righteousness means our right standing with God. It's more, it's, it's, it's relational, not behavioral modification. It's how we are relating to God, having a right standing with God. It's the same as justice. So, being, so justification means being made right, being made in right standing with God or before God. We are justified, the Bible, we all, you know, if you read the Bible, we are justified by faith in Jesus. It means that we are made to be in right standing because of our faith in Jesus. The moment we express our faith in Jesus, we are not only justified. Now, the reality that happens, the Bible says that we are born of the Spirit. Our spiritual journey begins. So you, you understand the whole three is the work of the Holy Spirit. Justification, okay? You're going to be born again. The Bible says being born of the Spirit. Sanctification. So between justification and glorification is, glorification is when Jesus comes back with a new body and you and I will receive new body. We are, glor we are the glory body. So between justification and glorification, we have what we call sanctification. So sanctification is the living now in the Holy Spirit. Living with the Holy Spirit. A glorification is when we have our spiritual body, like Paul would say. So, as, we, as I said before, all this is the work of God. It's not our own effort. So justification, we are born of the Spirit. Sanctification, we're living in step with the Holy Spirit. And finish, 
the glorification, living in the spiritual realm. Now, here's the thing. Question now. Okay, the first one is fixed. Done. I'm born again. Yeah, when Jesus comes back, I'm going to heaven now. Sanctification. How, we, how do we do that? How do we live a sanctified life? I remember doing DMS in Nashville. This is probably the third or fourth DMS we did in Nashville. So the guy who came at the first DMS, he came to me. I mean, God did amazing things. People had this, this massive encounter with God and, and really amazing encounter with God. So uh, people's lives being changed. So this guy came to me. He had a major breakthrough, uh, amazing encounter with God. And then he came to me. Bram, he said, I remember that my life totally changed and, uh, and God did amazing things. You know, like the guy apparently used to be mocking Christian, Christians uh, 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 gathering and you know, speaking in tongues. He would, you know, like emulate people speaking in tongues, like how ridiculous it was. And then he ended up speaking in tongues in, in the real way. So he was totally, totally zapped by the Holy Spirit. Can I have the measles, please? Let's get ready. And, uh, and then he said to me, that encounter was so supernatural, but now... I struggle again. What's going on? What's happening? How many of you have experienced that? You have a, a massive breakthrough. You think, this is great, but and then you, the reality of life hits you. You don't know what to do. Right? Good. <laughs> Let me give you a scripture. This is what Paul said to the people in Galatia. Paul said, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desire of the flesh. I'll read it again. Walk by the Spirit. He didn't say, and you might not. He said, you will not. That's a surety there. He doesn't say, yeah, then you might, you know. No, no, he said, and you will not. Gratify the desires of the flesh. And in the lessons of this, and he continued about this conversation in chapter, chapter 6, Galatians 6, verse 7. He said, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Verse 8, for the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh. Let me read it slower. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows in the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So I explained to this guy in the conversation, I said, great to have that encounter. That means, you know, you, you, you're born again, you're saved. But 
God provides a realm in which you and I are to walk in. Now that you're saved, he giving, he's giving you the Holy Spirit, but now there's a realm where we can walk in. And the Bible says, walk in there, not in the old realm, in that realm, the new realm. And he said it in another way. He said, listen, don't keep yourself. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. All right? Now, here's the thing. I watch many Christians try to be spiritual. Try to live a spiritual life and then struggle with that. And I said, have you asked your, yourself a question? Have you been sowing into the spirit? Let me say this. This is flesh or natural or whatever, and this is spirit, right? Now, this is where, where we can keep the balance of being legalistic, right? All right. Now, flesh and spirit. Flesh is not just sinful thing, but it sometimes it's just some things are like to be entertained, you know, like watch things. Something's just harmless. That's fine. Let me say this. I spent 40 hours this week on Game of Thrones, whatever it is. It's not sinful. And then I got tempted. And I thought, oh, what's going on? And I tried to reap from the spirit realm where I haven't sown at all. What do you think I'm going to get? Hello? It's not rocket science. Some things not necessarily sinful. They're just, you know, things. Like, it's okay. But... Don't expect to, sow, to, to reap from this where all you've sown is just that. You've been sowing tomatoes. Don't expect apples, for goodness sake. It is so simple. This is Christian walk. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all for, for entertainment. I, I used to like to play golf, you know. Like, I do that, but, uh, you know, for some reason I, I, I lost interest because I'm not good at it. <laughs> People say, do you play handicaps? Yeah, I've got three handicaps. The clubs, the ball, <laughs> and the swing. That's my handicap. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. All that's good, but you and I, we are spiritual people. We are meant to keep sowing into the spirit. I'll tell you what, it pays. I'll, why it pays? Because the moment you are born again, you are in a different kingdom. 
And there are, whether you like it or not, there are two kingdoms. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. And there's no demilitarized zone. I'm sorry. The moment you're in the kingdom of light, you are an enemy to the kingdom of darkness. You are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. In a warfare, if I'm a fighter pilot in a war and I fly through the enemy zone and there are two ships, one is a frigate, the other one is cruise line, guess which one I'm going to attack? Not the cruise line. That's not a threat to me. I'm going to kill the, the frigate, the, the, the war, warship, because if I don't, they're going to kill me. Because they're dangerous. Now, if you have the power of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and the enemy sees you and sees people in the world, and he thinks, they're already mine. I'm gonna, not going to care about them. This guy, he's going to kill me, so I, better, I'm, I might as well just destroy him. So, if you think you're under pressure, well, welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to the power of God. You got it. You just need to use it. You just need to sow into the spirit realm. Let's all stand up. That's what I call holy life. That's how God does it. Our part is walking in the realm, sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. It will grow. It will sprout. Just keep sowing. Notice the, 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 the next verse, Galatians 6, in verse 9, he said, after he said, the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And verse 9, and let not us grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap. We will reap if we do not give up. So the harvest is God's responsibility. My responsibility is the sowing. <laughs> the harvest will come. I just need to sow. His Father... Yeah, let's lay hands on our hearts. Your word says that we need to pray that the eyes of our hearts will see what you have for us, Lord. Yes, Lord, you've paid the price. We don't, there's no price for us to pay, Lord, except to walk in in the realm that you have provided for us. That is the only price we need to pay, Lord. I pray right now in this, right in this moment, Lord, as we surrender everything, just like we sing in this song, this is my offering. We offer ourselves, Lord, to you. Just to walk 
in the way you want us to walk. You filled us with the Holy Spirit, Lord. But that's not where it stops, Father. You want us to be led by your Spirit. I pray, Father, but that right now, we surrender afresh to you, Lord, to the leading of your Holy Spirit. It's not about how we feel or about what the world says, our truth, their truth, his truth, their truth. No, it's the truth. Your spirit of truth that will lead us into all the truth. No other truth, Lord, but your truth. And we want to walk in that. Bless your people, Father. Because the world is yet to see what your people really look like. And they will, as your people surrender to the leading of your spirit, to walk in the spirit. Thank you, Father. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Yeah, give God a hand.